Good morning. Hey, there's some lights. Good morning. My name is Luke. Good to be with you today. I'm stretching out today. I'm actually doing this thing where I'm breaching here and running back and forth between here and our Edgewood campus because I want to be over there to celebrate our one-year anniversary. So yeah, that's awesome. Really excited about that. Praising God for uh, bringing all that to fruition. It's been really, uh, been a really fun year. But uh, we're in this uh, series today, still called Stretch and uh, stretching out here. I am someone who stretches regularly, in spite of how difficult it is for me. You can probably sense that. Uh, I have some injuries that uh, prevent me from doing all the stretching that I'd like to, especially this, like this right here. This is the impossible stretch for me, this butterfly. I can't get forward and, and my knees down. I just can't. I had a broken hip in, in college. And I just can't do it. Uh, but I try to stay stretched out and stay in pretty good shape pretty active. Uh, I like to run around and play ball and uh, exercise regularly. I, I like to do physical things. I generally like physical labor. I like to work with my hands and stay pretty active. In fact, if I'm being honest, probably, probably too much of my identity is grounded in uh, what I can do with my body. Right? Probably take a little too much pride in uh, the physical things that, that I can do. It, like, for example, I... Uh, I really like it when you tell me I can't do something, uh, especially anything really, but especially you know physical things. Uh, just just tell me that I can't you know jump over that or lift that or, or hit that or throw this that far. You know just just tell me I can't do something. You know, does anyone you know some of you some of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I like to prove to you that no, I, I can do that. Like I was at uh, I was at Rita's one night in Joppa Town on Route 40. I was there with some of my friends and. It's kind of strange, actually, for us to be there late at night. It's like we're in high school again, out, out past curfew. And uh, we're there, and Rita's is this outdoor stand, you know, where you, where you go and order at the window. And then separating the place from where you order and the parking lot are these, these pillars. You know, I guess it's kind of like this, a little taller and, and not ornate like this, but just these about five inch in diameter pillars kind of running all the way across the front, about every four feet or so. Actually, I think we have a picture of it. Picture of Rita's, there it is. So all those, those red kind of columns running across the front there. So we had ordered, and it's, you know, it's dark, and we're just hanging out. I'm eating my blendini. And I, I said to one of my friends, hey, I bet you can't get up on one of those pillars and, and stand on top, you know, like, like Karate Kid or right? something. Uh, but, of course, we're not in high school anymore, and we all have kids, and we've got to go to jobs the next morning. So he's not taking the bait on this totally unnecessary risk. And we banter on about it for a little while. It becomes clear that he's not going to do it. But eventually he says to me, will you do it? <laughs> to which I replied, well, I thought you'd never ask, right? <laughs> uh, but then he says, hey, I bet, I, I bet you can't get up on that one pillar down at the end and walk all the way across all of those pillars. To which I reply, wait, what's that, honey? Yeah, I'll be home soon. I'm sorry, man, I've got to go. I can't. Actually, no, I was... I was quite invigorated by this challenge, and uh, my wife doesn't even know this story until now. But I, I did. I got up on that first pillar, and under the red and white glow of the Rita sign, I pranced all the way across those things and jumped down on the other side to prove that I can do that. In fact, to prove to you that I'm not telling a lie, I think we have, we have a picture of that, too, right? There it is, okay? And we didn't have that for the first service. I went over to Edgewood, and my buddies were over there. They said, hey, I got that picture on my phone. And so there it is. We showed it on the screen. Uh, but so that, you know, that's, that's kind of silly, right? These, these uh, macho things that we try to do. I got this, uh, this competitive thing in me that says, don't, don't tell me I can't do something. Don't tell me I can't do something. 
Uh, and, but I think it's not really just because I'm competitive, but because I'm American, right? You know what I'm talking about. You, you've got some of that in you too. Some of those attitudes have been drilled into you. You've heard all the lines. You've been fed all the same lines. You can do anything you put your mind to. If you believe it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, you can do it. You are the master of your destiny. You have the power. All these self-actualization mantras. You've heard those. You've bought in. You don't have to be as competitive as I am to be a little put off by the notion that you can't do something. It's only American to think, sure I can. With a little stretching, a little hard work, a little game face, sure I can. All right, well, you, uh, you bring your game face today as you listen to Jesus. Because that's really what we're here to do, to have an opportunity to hear what Jesus is saying to us, and then an opportunity to respond in some way. And we're listening to Jesus today in a part of the Scriptures that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is there on a mountainside or a hillside. He's teaching in front of a large group of people. His words are recorded in the book of Matthew, the New Testament, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Some of us maybe know that. Uh, others who aren't as familiar, you might be surprised to realize that you actually probably have heard some of what Jesus taught here. This is where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Uh, the phrase, uh, go the extra mile, that comes from something that Jesus taught here. There are a lot of people, especially those who find themselves on the defensive, they're very quick to quote Jesus when he says, do not judge, lest you be judged, in chapter 7. People who don't know anything about the Bible, they seem to, they seem to know that verse. Right? Well, as you read these chapters, which is worth doing if you've not done it, it's worth doing again and memorizing and meditating on these words. But as you hear these words, uh, you, you encounter some of the hard things that Jesus is saying here. Things like, turn the other cheek, or love your enemies, or don't worry about tomorrow. You hear some of those things, and it begins to, to sound to you like Jesus is, in fact, saying, put your game face on, because this is going to be tough. You hear what sounds to you like this stiff moral code, which is not for the faint of heart. And eventually, uh, perhaps to no surprise, there, there are some points which Jesus talks about money and about our relationship to money, the same kind of stuff that, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. That's what he's doing in chapter 6, and I'm going to read it for us, and it'll be on the screen as well. You may want to have it in your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, uh, on your phone or in your Bible, wherever. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, for that's a place where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for that's a place where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say, Look, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Did he just say can't? Yeah, you can't. You can't serve both God and money. Rather, the word here that Jesus uses is uh, mammon. It's like saying the God of money, as if the pursuit of wealth was elevated to a higher level and deified as if it were a God. Uh, mammon, the God of money. We might just say the American dream. Okay? Mammon. And Jesus says, uh, no one can serve two masters. It can't be done. Not it would be really, really hard to do it, but 
it can't be done. Because it's either going to be the case that you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to this one and you'll despise the other one. And that's especially true when we're talking about God and the God of money. So it's as if Jesus is saying this, if this pillar over here is God, and this pillar over here is the God of money, Jesus is saying you cannot stretch yourself between both of them. You cannot reach out and stretch yourself between both of them. It can't be done. It's the impossible stretch. And so here I am again with these pillars and some dude telling me I can't do something. And I might want to say, well, sure I can. Sure I can. I've been stretching. I've been getting loose. Maybe I just need to do a little bit more. Just get a little bit more. And then I could, I mean, I could make this, I could, I could make this stretch. Event. I mean, I got these $70 sweatpants on and I, I'm, I'm dressed for it. I, I'm loose. I mean, I could, I, I could, okay, if I just worked a little bit harder, prepared a little bit more, if I just got a little bit more flexible, a little bit stronger, I could make this stretch, right? I mean, that, that, that's all it would take is just work a little harder. And I can make this stretch, right? No. Because it can't be done. You, you can't serve both God and my... That's what Jesus is saying here. You can't give yourself to both a pursuit of God and the God of wealth. And Jesus isn't saying this to insult anyone's ability or to doubt anyone's resolve. He's just saying that in the same way that you can't go both east and west at the same time, you can't give yourself to both God and the God of money. Which is interesting because Jesus is not one to, to be cynical. <laughs> I mean, he would say, rising from the dead, sure, no problem. But you can't serve both God and money. Faith that can move mountains, sure, no problem. But you can't serve both God and money. And I, and I just wonder how we hear that. What do we think when we hear Jesus saying that we can't do it? Because I just know that in a lot of ways, it's only American to say, sure we can't. We are so used to ignoring the it can't be done. I mean, technology and innovations everywhere are all the time demonstrating to us that there are no unconquerable frontiers. It's only a matter of time before what was once thought impossible becomes attainable and even commonplace. Things are pitched to us all the time that, that, that prove to us that if we buy that or if we do that, it will allow us to say, sure I can, over something that we, was previously out of reach. Sure I can. I can get that degree and still work full time and be a parent. Sure I can. I, can. I can eat whatever I want and still lose weight if I do that routine. Sure I can. I can be in two places at once and do three things at once if I have that device. Sure I can. I can never miss a football game again with direct Xfinity League Pass, Red Zone, Triple Play, Big Ten Network on my phone, iPad, computer on the surface of my contact lens, record 87 games at once while my wife watches cooking shows and my kids stream Dora on their tablets. Don't tell me we can't all get everything we want when we want it. Sure we can. You're watching the pregame show right now, aren't you? 
I was just about to move to something more serious, too. <laughs> but we do. It is more serious than that because we do. We say things like, well, sure I can. I can buy this on credit now and avoid the consequences later. I can have this relationship on the side and still fulfill my obligation to my family. I can drink that and still drive. Sure I can. And I think that sometimes we bring similar kinds of sure-I-can attitudes to our relationship with God and money. Thinking that we, can, that we can do something that Jesus says is impossible. In fact, I think that, that some of us rather prefer an arrangement like this. That, that, that over here are, are, is God and the things of God and all the religious stuff that I do with my life. That's over here. But, but over here is you know, my attitudes toward money and my goals about money and my pursuit of those goals. Those things, those are separate matters. I mean, I like this God. And, and I, I even gave Him my heart. In fact, right here, this, this is my baptism certificate. Right here, this, this is the moment when I gave my heart to Jesus. But I didn't give Him... My wallet. That stays over here. No, it didn't get wet. I mean, I do, I do like this guy. I like the feeling that I get from worship. I like the forgiveness that is offered here and the acceptance, my, the ability to just be myself. And I, uh, I want to give myself to this God. I want to make sacrifices for this God. I want to trust this God with Him... Uh, rejuvenating me spiritually and healing me. I want to clean my act up. I want to quit partying. I want to be more honest. But, but there, are, there are some priorities that I'd prefer to leave in place because I like what this God has to offer me, the security and, and, and the comfort and the ability to enjoy life. I like all of that. And, and this God allows me to be in control. And if there's one thing that I have to be, it's in control, especially of my money. And so we end up a little bit, a little bit unsettled on this matter of, of who's the boss? Who, who's in charge here? Who is God? Who is Lord, really? Who am I taking my cues from in life? With, with my vocation, with my means for accumulating wealth, who really drives the decisions that I make in that arena? When it comes to, to spending, who has the ultimate say-so about how money is invested? And without really pinning ourselves down on those questions, we tend to just kind of default toward an answer that says, well, we'll both. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of stretch between them. We'll, we'll attempt the impossible stretch to serve both of them. And that approach would explain some of what we've been talking about with uh, the giving God backwash. Thing. You know, Ben, the last couple of weeks, has had a bottle of water up here. And he has said, if, imagine if this bottle of water is everything that you've been given. It's a bottle of whatever size. And you get to decide if you'll drink it all or if you'll share it. Okay? Now, we know we've got to share it with the bills and, and the rent and the food and so forth. Everything gets its gulp. And then after all that, maybe at, at the end of the day, there will be some backwash swishing around at the bottom that we'll, we'll give to God. Because many of, many of my commitments really lie over here with this God and all of my financial goals and my pursuits and everything that gets, this God promises me that I really need to have the security and the comfort and the control and the prestige and the gratification. As long as I can satisfy all of those things first, then, then maybe, okay, we can, uh, 
maybe we can throw God a bone every once in a while too. Sure I can. I, I can make this stretch. You ever thought that? You ever try to live that way? We might be attempting to live like this if, if we lack the skills of contentment. If when we really examine ourselves, we don't have much experience being content. Not contentment in, in, the, in like resignation or just giving up, like I have no goals. But contentment as in peace. Peace in the middle of the journey on the way to those goals. Joy. Joy over what I have been able to do as opposed to frustration over what I'm not able to do. Gratitude over what I've been given. Can you see ways that you are cultivating those things? And sure, I know it's tough because in so many areas we're told not to be content. I mean, I'm coaching football right now and I don't want our players being content. I don't want them content with last week's success. I want them hungry for the next victory. And that is precisely the mantra of this God over here. You need to be hungry for more. Don't be satisfied with what you have. Get more. You don't have enough. Peace won't come until you get enough. It doesn't matter if you have a 53-foot yacht in the harbor or a toy boat in the bathtub. You don't have enough. You need more. Joy and contentment will not be available to you until you get more. Or so the story goes over here. When you give yourself over here, you don't have to worry about cultivating joy and peace and contentment and gratitude because those things don't grow in the soil underneath this pillar. As soon as they sprout, they are choked out by the desire for more. So if you want to serve God, but you don't see those things growing in you, it could be that you are attempting the impossible stretch. And if instead we notice within us a sense of entitlement, you know, we, we have established what we consider to be a sort of baseline for happiness. Like we have to have at least this much. We have to at least live in that kind of house, in that neighborhood. We have to at least be able to send our kids to that school. Whatever those things are and however extravagant, if we have consciously or unconsciously set up some, some non-negotiables for what we got to have in order to find fulfillment, and those are not non-negotiables according to this God, well, then we got them from somewhere else. And it could be that we are attempting the impossible stretch. Are you clinging to some non-negotiables? If we give the best of ourselves to our work and only ever have leftovers to give in terms of time and, and energy when it comes to being involved in the life of the church, or not to mention the scraps we're throwing to our family. It could be that we're attempting the impossible stretch. And so to people who are very capable, to people who try really hard, to us Americans who, number one, are never convinced that we can't do something, and number two, who like to keep everything compartmentalized and resist submitting our attitudes about wealth management and our financial goals and priorities to this God, to us, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. Because they are at war with one another. And if you try to give yourself to both of them, you'll eventually discover the truth of what Jesus is saying, that you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. 
Now, we're drawn to each of them for, for what they promise to us. Each of them makes promises to us. They both promise us life. They both promise us the good life. Each claims that they can give us hope. Each claims that they pave the way to fulfillment. Both promise to save us. Each promises us security and comfort, albeit different versions of those things. This one promises us control. This one demands that we give up control. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. This God seduces us with the illusion of control. It promises that, yes, you can be in control. Your money is your money, and it is your, used to serve you. If you have money, well, then you control your own destiny. You can buy your happiness and guarantee your future. But this God is terrible at letting us know when we've arrived at all of those things, when, when we've done enough to secure our future, when we've accomplished enough to be happy. It always leads you to believe that you have miles to go. And you can go on and on convincing yourself that you are in control of this pursuit, but somewhere down the road you'll realize it is controlling you. It indeed is your master, and you have become its slave. It is Lord. It is God. And just like with any God, you will make sacrifices on its altar. Freedom is sacrificed here. Which is ironic because we run this direction thinking that we're gaining freedom. But the more that we serve that impulse, the more enslaved we become. We become slaves to our appetites. They end up dictating the direction of our lives and the investments that we make. They lead us to become slaves of creditors. Debt masters us. And eventually our mood, our stress level, our sense of well-being, our outlook on life, all of it becomes shackled to our circumstances. Children are sacrificed here. Not just by fat cat CEOs who, who employ kids in sweatshops. But by you and I, when we, we give everything we got to our work, and we work overtime so we can put money away into a college savings account, but we don't have time to invest relationally in those kids before they go off to college. My friend Alistair is a member of this church, and uh, he described his pursuit of everything this God had to offer. He had a lot of success earlier in his career and uh, made a lot of money. And he said this to me, I was so proud of myself. It was like a drug. I began spending more and more time working and less time with my family. I was so busy making money that even when I was home, I was never really present. In my mind, er, in my mind taking care of my family meant keeping the refrigerator and the bank account full. I was absolutely convinced that more money was the cure for whatever ailed us. As long as we could afford whatever we wanted, we had no worries. He learned integrity is sacrificed here. As we compromise who we are in order to accomplish what this God told us is important. Identity is sacrificed here. We become only consumers. Our value is based entirely on what we can accumulate. There is no end to the list of sacrifices that will satisfy this God. And there is no way that this God can come through on all of its promises. The, the fulfillment that it promises, it is always a carrot on a stick out ahead of you. As soon as you arrive, you're not there. It cannot save you. It can't even save you from yourself. It can't help you destroy yourself. 
They can't ensure your future. All of its investments are held in a world where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There is nothing guaranteed about material wealth. And even if you get it all, Jesus asked, what good is it if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? If you gain the promotion but forfeit your family? If you gain financial security but forfeit a chance to see God come through? What good is it if you make yourself a life out of this, but you miss out on a relationship with the God who made you and gave you life? You and I can decide if it's any good. If it's worth it. Or we can decide if we will give ourselves to something else. But we do have to decide. We can't, we can't do this. We do have to settle this who's the boss thing. Because you can't serve two masters. You see, the truth is, wherever, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's just the way it is. And so as we're in this series, talking about money, trying to get better at handling money, and I hope we all do that as a result of this series. I mean, we had Ben mentioned this green card. It's in the seat pockets in front of you. Last week, all kind of financial resources on there. How you can do better at handling money and get out of debt and do all that. I hope we, we could take all of these classes. We take all of these classes and do all of the tips and get out of debt and start socking money away and, and move out of the house we can't afford and start saving for retirement and sell the boat and cut cable. But all of that doesn't matter a dime if we haven't settled this. If we don't hear Jesus when He says to us, you can't, you can't serve two masters. If we don't hear Jesus when He says to us, put your treasure, put your life into something where it cannot be destroyed, where it cannot be taken away from Me. Let Me be your master in your heart and of your wallet. And these are hard things. And I hate this sermon. It's just <laughs> it's so hard to write. But I am convinced it, it's a, these are important things to hear, especially for people in the richest culture to ever exist in the world ever. So let's, let's get this something better. I, I mean, look, th this is not the pastor saying this to you to squeeze you for more dough, to fork it over and fill the church coffers. That's not what's going on. That's not why we're in this series. That's a terrible reason to talk about money. We're in this series. We're talking about money in hopes that we will hear what Jesus is saying to us. What He's saying to all of us because what He wants is for us to have a life that's worth living. A life lived in freedom, not in slavery. Not a life lived in perpetual dissatisfaction, but one of fulfillment and contentment and joy that cannot be taken away from us. He doesn't want us to have a life in pursuit of things that cuts us off from the people that mean the most to us, but rather a life where we get to enjoy God's blessing with those people. He doesn't want us to have a life marked by this wishy-washy, one-foot-on, one-foot-off attempt to try the impossible stretch only to settle for something mediocre but a life lived in full abandonment with exhilarating trust and a story to tell about God's goodness and God's faithfulness. That's what God wants for us. And it is a life. It is a life. It is a life where you have to give up control. 
And that sounds counterintuitive and it sounds really scary, but, but just, just listen to one, listen again to what my friend Alistair said when he pulled his allegiance from this God and gave it to this God. He said to me, the loss of control never felt so good because I am more present now than I have ever been. I coach, cook, do homework with the girls, attend every game, parent-teacher meeting, and volunteer opportunity. All of the things I had no time for when I had full control. Funny how that works. It's as if God is saying, saying to me uh, to let Him do what He does and you concentrate on doing what you do. Clearly the control business is not in my wheelhouse. I wonder how many others are fooled into thinking that it's in theirs. Guilty. And maybe we're hearing some of this today and we're feeling a little bit guilty. And I suppose that's okay to a degree if you recognize that, you, that you're missing out on something. But look, Jesus is not trying to guilt you into anything. The, the walk following Jesus is not a guilt-driven thing at all. Jesus is not trying to guilt you into something. He's just saying, settle it. Settle it. Pick one. You cannot chase after both of them. This one promises you the good life. And this one promises you the good life. Settle it. Choose based on the merits of each of them. You will serve something. You will worship something. You will give yourself to something. Sacrifices will be made at each altar. But over here, the more you give up, the richer you become. That's just how it works. It's amazing what can happen when you loosen your grip on this stuff that we hold so tightly and is so private. And over here, sacrifices are not done in an effort to earn anything with this God or in an effort to manipulate this God in order to do something favorable for you. That game is played over here and it will go on forever and you will end up a slave. It's over here when you realize that if I give... Over here is where I realize it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's over here that I can, then I can hear Jesus when He says the very next thing that He says in the Sermon on the Mount is all of that stuff about don't worry about tomorrow. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. I can't rest in that if I am trying to do this. But when I give myself here, I can hear what Jesus is saying about tomorrow. And that the Heavenly Father knows what I need. So we got to settle this. And then we can get on with all the practical stuff, whatever we got to do to get our finances in order and to do better at all of that. But we, we have to settle it. You know, you can settle this today, but your financial picture will not be fixed today. You probably will still have some, some work to do. But it's not even worth doing all the work if you don't settle this. So where does that leave us? Well, I think for all, whether, whether you got a lot or a little, I think all of us are invited to examine ourselves and see, is there contentment and peace being grown in us? And ask ourselves, who do I trust for the good life? And when you find yourself wanting more, just be honest about that with this God. Okay? Work that out in this arena. You already know if you bring that confession over here, you already know what kind of counsel you're going to receive. Okay? God gave us appetites. He knows who we are. And He has promised to satisfy us in a way 
far deeper and far more profound than just instant gratification. That's all you got over there. And you, you know, if you, some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. We feel like we've made this commitment. Or maybe you're new in the journey or somewhere in the middle of the journey. And if that's you, then you, may you be encouraged today that, that you have put your treasure, that you have put your life in a place where nobody can take it away from you. You have put it with, a, with someone who, who can be trusted, who comes through on His promises. And may you be on your guard. Because that God will never stop beckoning you to reach out and trust it with your stuff. And if you're not a Jesus follower, then you need to know God wants you. God loves you. And you can trust the promises that He's made. But you just need to know He wants it all. Your life, your heart, your wallet, He, he wants it all. It doesn't mean you have to give all your money away or that you can't pay rent or buy food or uh, celebrate a special occasion with the money that you have. It does mean that you begin to learn that everything you do have is God's money anyway. It means that you begin to learn to start making investments of time and energy and money according to God's priorities. You put yourself and your money into things that God cares about. And yes, God cares about work and play and everything else that enriches life. You stick around here and you'll continue to discover all of the fruitful, all the meaningful things that can happen when people loosen their grip on their stuff and trust God with His money. When we talk about things like the tithe and, and giving of the first fruits, those are just ways that we join God in what He's doing. And kids, alright, look, I know there's a ton of pressure on you these days. right? If, if you're in middle school or high school, I know you're judged by what you wear and what you have. And when I was in high school, I bought this pair of fake Oakley sunglasses for $12, and I told everybody they were $120, okay, just so I could be cool, all right? So whatever, I can't blame you if you want to um, chase after all that stuff and let it worry you if you don't have it and always be petitioning your parents to get you more of it. Right? I suppose I can't even blame you if you want to look down your nose at all the kids who don't have what you have because you learned that from watching us. But just look. All of that high school competition to have the best and most stuff, that is an endless game of making sacrifices to this God. And you can play it forever. A lot of people are. So you might as well get out of it now. And begin to learn the skills of contentment now. Contentment is only available right where you are. And finally, parents, I know, I know we want to give everything to our kids. We want them to have everything. But the best thing we can give them is something to complain about once in a while. I mean, in other words, don't just constantly fill their hands and, and fill their closets. Don't, don't always be teaching them that happiness and the good life is connected to more stuff. Because that's going to burn them someday. Let's teach our kids. Let's do what we can to help our kids get settled on this matter of who's the boss? Who's really in charge when it comes to money? When it comes to my life? And by God's grace, we'll be able to settle it too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the truth of your word, how it speaks to us, maybe even when uh, we don't want to hear it, or when uh, it convicts us. I know I don't like talking about this any more than anyone likes hearing it. But we come to you today as people who are in search of the truth. And we thank you for revealing the truth to us about 
the pursuits of life and about the promises that are made to us as we go about life. Help us to hear what you're saying to us today. And help us to trust you to do that hard thing of giving up control and place ourselves in your hands, even place our money in your hands. We just confess today that it's yours anyway. Save us from uh, the ways that we've given ourselves to any other God and place us back into your hands. Help us to be able to say, Christ, you are enough for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.